Hey crafties, welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. Regular co-host Kovar Goblu continues his hiatus. He's laying low, getting his ninjutsu skills up and prepared for the next set release. But in the meantime, I am happy to have another special guest on the show. This is somebody who I've been following for years now on Twitter. And I feel like unless you've been living under a rock or something, if you've gotten anywhere near Magic Twitter, you probably know this person. I'm very excited to welcome to ArenaCraft podcast, the man, the myth, the legend, the enigma, Robert Taylor Fireshoes. How are you doing today, Robert? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure to have you here. We're also joined by a quiet third co-host in the background there. Can you tell us a little bit about your feline co-host? Well, that's Taz back there. Taz. Very nice. <laughs> He's one of four cats I have in the house. We'll probably meet some other ones at some point. It's always good to have another perspective. I'm not going to lie, Robert. I've been particularly excited to have you on the show. And the reason why is that I've pretty much only ever known you by like one profile pic and then just like a massive stream of deck lists, the occasional pithy opinion. I myself and I imagine a number of other people in the magic community have just been like super curious about who you are and what you're like. Part of what I want to do in this show is just to try to help the magic community to get to know you a little bit better. I appreciate you making yourself available for that. It's kind of funny. There's like two different personalities out there, people that know me or don't know me. Because on Twitter, I post the deck list or retweet them. People don't know me from events. You know, I'm not a pro Magic player or anything like that. They see me around a lot on there, but they don't know me personally. Uh, I, I live in Iowa, and the competitive players around Iowa see me at every event. I'm a judge, so... I'm either playing or judging, and they see me all the time. So they know me well from these events or the people that wouldn't recognize me if I were in the same room. Hopefully by the end of this episode, everyone will have a bit of a better idea about who you are and what you do. I wanted to start out, first of all, by just asking you about your history with the game. It seems like you're a pretty entrenched Magic player. So when did you start and what happened from there? I started during Innistrad. 2011. I kind of have a weird on-ramp to Magic compared to most people. I started with Duels of the Planeswalker on Xbox. Nice. Oh man, um, I wish CGB was here. He'd be all over it with you. <laughs> uh, my roommate at the time was playing it and I'm like, well, that looks really cool. And he's like, yeah, you should try it. Uh, he had played back in the 90s or whatever, you know, and so they had a download sale for it and he picked it up and I started trying, and before long, I went and got an intro pack, which they don't do anymore, but it's like the new decks for new players with a couple boosters in it, and the rest is history from there. Got into it big time. That's awesome. And so when did you go from being someone playing Magic on your Xbox or like throwing around a few packs? When did you go from that to being actually really committed to this game and I want to get more seriously competitive? I played mostly at home, as a lot of people do for at least several months, building decks with whatever cards you have. At some point, I had a 250-card deck. 
a bunch of blue cards. It was, it was some weird deck that you would clone Mirror Mad Phantasm. Basically, you milled out your deck to win that way somehow. Some combo before my time. But eventually, uh, I got into drafting. So I went to my LGS and, and drafted a lot. I didn't play Constructed at a store for at least another year. Okay. Uh, I would just head off and on for drafts. And as I build up my collection, then I could start playing Standard. Continue to build up the collection. So it probably was two to three years before I ever did any competitive events. Another roommate got me uh, to go to a ptq i hadn't even watched pro tour stuff at that point <laughs> okay so i'm sure i had a, a terrible deck or whatever but uh, the competitive scene in, in iowa is pretty impressive everyone from the whole state goes to basically all of the different events it seems like uh and and this was would be like one ptq in a region per month so people would come from wisconsin and minnesota so there'd be you know a couple hundred people at these events so it was a really big spectacle so i kind of really fed off of that excitement it, it, it seemed like i almost feel like when you're not in a huge city like new york or something like that i almost imagine that it might make your community more tight-knit because it's like when everyone's yeah. coming together it's just like oh my exactly. god this is so exciting the one chance we get to do this my joke about it is i'll see these people every week especially when they were doing the pptqs i'd see people at every one of them i really wouldn't know which store was their home store like where are you from because <laughs> i see you every week anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true nomadic bunch huh when did you decide to become a judge it was during the pptqs they did seasons for three months you'd qualify for this particular regional pro tour qualifier but once you had won a pptq you couldn't play anymore so i won one put me unable to play for the next you know, a few weeks or whatever it was. So I was like, well, I might as well become a judge. At that point, I was pretty into the competitive scene. Uh, so we had a Facebook group, uh, which is called the Midwest Tournament Updater. People got used to me posting deck lists from these paper events. How are we going to get these deck lists if you're not at the events playing? <laughs> I became a judge. So I would be at the event anyway. That's when you started to be on the insider track, huh? It's kind of strange that it started with paper deck lists more than the online ones, which people expect and are used to now. It, it was pretty cool because there wasn't as much information about things back then. It's crazy how much it's changed. But when you could go and see what everyone was playing at a tournament, because you know, I wouldn't just do the top eight deck lists. I would post the whole metagame, like what everyone was playing. Wow. So remind me, you were doing this in Facebook groups, and were you doing it on Twitter at this point? I've had Twitter for a long time, but the deck lists for that were mostly just on Facebook. Yeah, and the Facebook group, it started, there was a couple dozen people in it. When PPTQs started, people didn't know where they were at. You had to go onto some wizard's website. If you ever tried to navigate a wizard's website to try to find some information, it's kind <laughs> oh of God. tough sometimes. At some point, I, I had gone through and I'm like, okay, here's all of these PPTQs on the schedule for Iowa and Minnesota and Illinois posted that at the top of the Facebook group. And people were like, wow, that's really helpful, you know? And so it started growing and growing. And pretty soon we had thousands of people in there seeing where they could go for their weekly events. That sounds like maybe the place where you really started to develop your online persona in the community or where you started to really like make a big contribution. Exactly. 
So I would post a weekly post, like, here's all the events this week. If we uh, had the top eight deck lists, I could include a link to those so people could go check it out, do some net decking, you know? (laughs) When did it start to really take off on Facebook? Probably about seven years now that uh, this Facebook group started. That was one of those things that just continued to grow. We had some partnerships like uh, Pastimes. They would promote an upcoming Grand Prix in the Facebook group and someone, we would do a drawing and someone would win a entry to the Grand Prix. That helped bring in more people. I still work with Pastimes too. Not not this last year, but the previous couple of Gen Cons have gone and done social media coverage for them. And then what was the point at which like Twitter started to become a thing that was really happening for you? I think with the Twitter, it started, it must have been at the beginning of the pandemic. It must have been before that, though. Part that really took off for it was the first Magic Fest online, if I remember right, because CFB had put on the event and people couldn't find the deck list for it at all. Typical. I would, it was on some weird website, you know, very hidden. I knew where it was at. I'm like, okay, here's the deck list. These are the people that went four or five whatever you had to go. And so I just started doing that for each event. It was kind of weird, but people started tagging me on their ladder ranking or whatever it might have been. So that happened organically, like people just like making Mythic and tagging you and stuff like... Right. Yeah, because like Arena Decklist was already around and they would post people's Mythic Decklist. I had posted these top eight decklists from Magic Fest online or whatever and other people, they're, they're like, here, post my deck list too. <laughs> uh, and it just got going more and more and more to the point now where it's, you know, <laughs> seems like dozens of deck lists per day. Whenever I've got anything hot, I definitely tag you in there for sure. <laughs> and, and I'm always appreciative of the retweets. And do you now retweet like just about all of the tags that you get? Or are you somewhat selective about what you retweet? I do most of them. I don't want to be the go live tweet every day for a person. Okay. Here's my YouTube video of the day. If it's got good results, mm-hmm. that helps, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily want to post your 3-2 deck list or whatever. I do want something with some actual results to it. You heard the man. That's how you get to appear on the coveted halls of Robert Taylor's tweets. And you've got to have a picture of the deck. Come on. I totally agree. I'll throw in my two cents crafties. Throw in an actual link to an actual deck list that's hosted somewhere. Because, man, recreating those from the pictures can be surprisingly frustrating. It does take some time. I use MTG Goldfish a lot. People go there and check out deck lists anyway. So Mm -hmm. if you've got an account, you can just click decks, create a deck, you know, copy from Arena, paste it there. And you're done. Another thing I like is the untap.gg link. First of all, because we're sponsored with them. So go check out untap.gg. Yep, friend of the podcast. If you sign up for their free service using our link, we get a small donation. So that's nice. But also uh, because they actually have your like tracking of your progress right there. So that's a really cool way to both get the deck list and see how it's been performing and actually see some of the revisions. If you've made any changes over time, they get tracked there as well. I like to go on untapped, especially for best of three matches, because you can see how you've been sideboarding. Because inevitably, someone's going to ask you for that sideboard guide. 
So you can go back and check. So this is what I'm actually doing against mono red or whatever. And that's actually a feature I haven't really paid much attention to. I would say I spend, it's probably 50-50 best of one and best of three that I'm playing. But for some reason, I never tend to go back and look at that. So it's actually really cool to know about. When I was playing more paper events, I definitely played a lot more best of three. It really makes a difference being able to sideboard. Best of one tends to push decks towards the extreme of either hardcore control or very all-in aggro. With best of three, you tend to get a little bit more of the mid-range options which makes a big difference in gameplay. I have also just found for whatever amount of tinfoil hat I might wear, both my matchups and the way that the games draw and play out feel kind of more organic and closer to the magic that I know and think of than best of one. You mean you don't like to switch decks and immediately have it pair you into your worst matchup every time? <laughs> you know, not, not my favorite thing to have happen. It's either your worst matchup or just mirrors all the way down. Yes. Speaking of arena, what percentage of your play these days would you say happens on arena? Pretty close to 100%, at least for online play. I played a little bit of Magic online during the PAX Unplugged event, which was a cool event that got me to fire it up. They had a deal where you could uh, 3-0 a preliminary. If you did that, you got to play in a New Year's Day Modern Horizons 2 sealed event. Oh, sweet. And the winner got four of every modern legal card on Magic Online. Whoa. Yeah, it was an insane <laughs> prize. People that regularly play Magic Online are like, this is possibly the highest EV tournament out there. Four of every modern legal card on Magic Online worked out to over $9,000. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Magic Online's economic model, you can sell your cards for tickets and you can actually sell those tickets for real cash. Yeah, that's incredibly generous. So everyone in the top eight of that event got at least a set of every modern card. And then my friend Henry, he got ninth place and that was good for 12 packs. <laughs> okay. Standard distribution, right? So that was a little bit of moto I've played recently, but yeah, mostly it's just not arena. I do go up to my LGS usually once or twice a week to do some paper drafting. I don't play too much paper constructed right now, but once tournaments come back, I'll play some at that point. Although the tournaments that we have had, I've been judging at more anyway. So. And so when you are playing on arena, you were telling me you've, you've played some limited, you're enjoying the decathlon so clearly you're a cross format enjoyer are there any formats that you find that you tend to play more than the others i go in spurts usually i dabble around a lot in uh, limited and then for constructed i mostly play historic standard is not interesting to me usually you know when there's only two or maybe three decks that are good uh, i don't know it's just not that fun but when you get into historic it's a much bigger card pool so you have a lot of different options for decks. I'm not normally the tier one deck guy. I prefer to play a brew or at least something interesting, you know, <laughs> not the same old, same old. If you've ever listened to the Faithless Brewing podcast, they talk about being a spike rogue. That's what I am. I do want to win, but I kind of want to do it on my own terms, right? I like that designation. I actually think that describes both myself and Covert Go Blue as well. Competitive rogue brewers or even maybe competitive jank brewers trying to get more mileage out of those cards that don't see as much play. So with all of this, I think, I guess we get around to the first truly arena craft question of the night. How are you feeling about alchemy? 
I think alchemy is a great idea. Uh, it hasn't qu quite hit right yet. When they introduced it, I dug up a tweet from like, I don't know, nine months or a year ago that said, boy, I'd love to have a special league of standard where they would just make changes weekly to the BM list was what I was thinking, you know, like move a card in, move a card out just to keep it more exciting, you know, it's sort of an artificial rotation in a way. I hadn't considered rebalancing at that time, and I definitely hadn't considered all new digital only cards. <laughs> that wasn't on my radar. So when they announced it, I'm like, hey, this is gonna be cool. If they're making frequent changes, it's just going to be a lot of fun. We'll see how, it's, <laughs> how it turns out. Because it's probably going to be, what, seven weeks before we get our first change of the well, format? I was just going to say, it's a funny time for you to be bringing that back up, right? Since they just announced, for any of you listening who haven't heard about it, uh, they basically, Wizards just announced that they're not going to make any changes to the Alchemy format until, like, there's an arena open coming up. There's the uh, Mythic Qualifier. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be basically forever until we get to see the next changes. I'm intuiting, based on the context cues, that you're not a fan of that decision. It kind of goes down to, like with my play style of wanting to play something new. If you do your rebalances now, it's a whole new format, right? They have a lot of variables that they can change on these cards for alchemy. If you buff particular cards or even just change in the cards that are in the spell books, or was it key to the archive? Oh, yeah. You can make some substantial changes to the format that give people uh, an opportunity to do some, you know, actual deck building and metagaming to surprise this field. And now it's just going to be these are the decks that we've had for the past two months. Just play the best one if you want to win. That's not as fun. I suppose it shouldn't surprise anyone that Wizards is doing the conservative thing. Whenever it concerns bans and format shakeups of any kind, they've tended to be very, very conservative. I think one of the few exceptions to that rule was actually the Pioneer format. That was such a cool format for that reason. I really liked how it was very much a play-at-your-own-risk format. It was like day trading in magic form. If they got aggressive with alchemy and they're doing the changes every week, that takes a lot of the sting away from it when they do nerf a card, you know, because they're not doing the wild card reimbursements, right? If they show they're not afraid to nerf something and then if they went too far to bring it back a little bit, that'd be great, you know? And with changes coming every week, you can play lots of different cards, try lots of different strategies. And if something gets nerfed, you lose out on it now, but maybe it's viable again in a few weeks with one of these changes. I think people would get really into the format if they decide to manage it that way, which they haven't so far, but we can hope. In the very least, just kind of delivering on that promise of every month, right? I mean, that would be basically two days from now, maybe even it would have been yesterday, right? Depending on right. how you track the timeline. I agree with a lot of people who say that that would have been a great time 
to shift up this format. I hope that they will get a bit more aggressive with that and switch things up. And isn't it wild to think that Alchemy dropped just a month ago? I mean, it feels like a lifetime yeah. in terms of yeah. anyone who's been playing standard and or Alchemy formats since then. I just on stream earlier this week went back to playing standard for the first time in a month. You know, it was like a Seeker's Chariot came down and made two cats. And I had this moment of, oh, right, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I'm Maybe I'm like back in Kansas, right? <laughs> Depending on how you put it. But it just made me realize like how far I had come just in that time since Alchemy was dropped. It does feel like it's been around forever. There, there was a lot of jokes when the format first launched about, though, my opponent at FNM says the card doesn't do this anymore or whatever. But <laughs> it does feel a little bit that way when you go into the standard queue for the first time in forever. And we're like, oh, right. It doesn't work the way it does in historic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask you about that as well, because you're a historic player. So how do you feel about the alchemical effect on the historic format? If it's a weaker version than what standard has, that's probably not good for historic. I don't know if they should just only leave themselves the option of the paper printing for historic. It, it seems like it would be nice to be able to modify the cards there, but it just can't be the weaker standard versions, you know, that they've changed for alchemy. Like Luminar Aspirant, having to play the worst version in Historic is kind of a joke, right? But some cards they could push further. Maybe something's not good enough for Historic and they want to improve it a little bit. For example, I remember when Kaladesh hit and all of a sudden we saw all these like mono-brown artifact combo decks and stuff like that hit Historic. Yeah. How sweet would it be if they just like gave those decks a little nudge, right? Or There's so many different archetypes which have been good in the history of Historic. It would be kind of sweet to just see if some of those could have some life again. When that Kaladesh set did come out, everyone was worried about Etherworks Marvel, right? It's actually done so nothing in that amount of time, too. So yep. maybe that deck that needs a little something. You know, you can dial back decks that are, are a little too good in the format, too, right? I think ultimately what they need to do is probably just wind up with three versions. The original <laughs> printing, an alchemy version, and a historic version. <laughs> okay, there we go. Just got three different historic queues lined up for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to affect the queue times in any way, of course. But I mean, I agree. Okay, like, it, It's a hard problem to solve, like any way that you look at it. I think what it highlights is that each format has its particular considerations that need to be made. And we see this in the paper magic formats. You do kind of see a lot of that differentiation happening. For example, Vintage basically has its own rule set with uh, restricting cards. You know, I suppose Legacy and Modern are probably fairly the same in that they just have a ban list and that's kind of it. It is interesting how like each format over time is kind of showing whether it's Wizards or even in the case of like the Commander Rules Committee, it's like showing the community and the governing body that each format kind of needs its own thing. It needs to be regulated in its own way. Especially with Modern and Legacy being impacted by the direct-to-modern printings of Modern Horizons yep. and uh, soon Lord of the Rings. Then you look at a, a format like Pioneer, and it's so pristine. Wow, it doesn't have these sets that have been injected directly into it. And I think that's a lot of the appeal of the format right now. There's a lot of different decks you can play. It's uh, all organically made. It's just these are the sets that were in standard for the past X years. 
hopefully they'll be adding Pioneer onto Arena at some point. Maybe that can be the format where people can play all of these cards that are the actual printings and not have any of the rebalancing done to them. I totally agree. That would be amazing. Just on that note, I do find it interesting criticism that a lot of people have leveled at Alchemy. Why are you bringing this to Arena instead of just putting Pioneer on there? I think it's legitimate that people feel that way. One of the things that kind of blows my mind, though, is just how many sets there actually are in Pioneer. I think maybe people don't quite realize just how many cards that is. Pioneer is about the same size as what Modern was when Modern came out. And so if you're talking four standard sets a year over the past 10 years or whatever it is, that's a lot of cards. I do think that they could do some bundles of playable cards somehow. Maybe they need to do some uh, best of Pioneer cards to add them into the client. Working on on the cards that actually get played, you know, you don't have to worry about 90% of the cards from these sets because it's all draft cards. Get in the ones that people want to play with and work towards that. And I think they will but it takes some time. They were doing a great job of releasing these remastered sets, you know, Kaladesh remastered, Amonkhet remastered. I thought that that was a really good approach to getting towards it. It Gives people a chance to play those sets in limited again, gives the historic metagame a chance to kind of adjust to those sets, right? So I think that was a really good cadence, but of course they can only make a few of those a year. And so if you do the math on that, it's going to take like a decade (laughs) to really fill it out, right? So I agree, they're gonna have to accelerate it in some way if they wanna get Pioneer on there. Talking about the remastered sets, those were great. People by and large loved being able to draft the old sets and getting new cards for Historic at the same time was a a bonus. The thing that gets slept on a little bit is having it available to draft was a great way to give card acquisition for Historic too. And that's something that is missing with Alchemy as well. You can't draft the Alchemy-only cards. Either spend your wild cards, or you're just not going to be able to play with the new cards. I think that's a little bit of the roadblock for the Alchemy format as well. Honestly, I felt a little bit ripped off when I fired up Arena at the beginning of this season and I got my rewards, and they were Innistrad packs. I was like, man, I spent the entire frickin' month playing Alchemy. Couldn't you just cough up like five or six Alchemy pack? Hook a brother up, right? I do think that the monthly ladder rewards should be Alchemy packs, um, Mm. just because they're not available otherwise. I mean, you have to spend your gold, right? It gets rid of the feel-bads of uh, they set the monthly rewards, and then it's the set that's been out the whole time. Like when uh, Midnight Hunt came out, and then they're like, here's your... D&D Adventures in the Forgotten uh, Realms packs, right? Feels so bad. <laughs> right. And if it had been yeah. like, here's the Alchemy versions that just came out four weeks ago or whatever, that would be a lot more acceptable, I think. I feel like Wizards has kind of shot themselves in the foot by not being more generous with Alchemy. Imagine how much more positive the community outlook would have been if they'd been like, welcome to Alchemy, here's 20 packs make it rain a little bit, give people something to be excited about, right? So even if they're still complaining about the economy, they have this massive feels good. I got this huge injection and now I'm actually motivated to build a deck because I got a decent number of cards. They're able to jump into the format and play it and say, oh, well, you know what? This is actually better than standard. Why would I want to play standard, right? Because I do think once people get into it, Alchemy is just going to be a better play experience because 
it's not going to be just a two deck format. But as it is now, with the cards being pretty hard to get for it, I, you know, like I have my mono red dragon stack that was cool the first week of the format and i haven't made anything else because i'm not opening the cards for it mm-hmm. i don't have any wild cards i think it, it causes some stagnation in what it could be any drug dealer knows that like the first dose is free i don't know quite what they're missing there it's one of those things where it's not that easy in paper magic to like really make it rain that's a pretty steep cost Whereas on a digital client, it costs them basically nothing to just give you some stuff. For paper, though, they do give you stuff. There's the little promo packs. It's true. That the store gets to distribute however they want, right? So they could just say, oh, hey, thanks for coming in. Here's a promo pack. And it's got a new rare in it. It's got a rare from a few months ago or a few sets ago. And then you get a a good uncommon or common that sees play like consider or whatever. So they give people that hit for paper. So they just need to do it online too. To me, it seems like a no brainer. I actually feel like they're going to make more money that way. But what do I know? I'm just a pleb with a microphone. Did you see that uh, someone had posted the games played off of untapped? for each of the formats. I saw it like in the first week of the format or something, but I haven't seen it lately. I'd seen a post, uh, it might've been a week ago now, Uh, just the number of games played for standard, alchemy and historic in best of one and best of three. It's really eye-popping to see the numbers. It's just people that have the untapped tracker installed. So it should be slanted a little bit towards more invested players yeah. and theoretically more competitive anyway. Standard best of one was by far the most played, but Alchemy was actually second. Like above so Historic, above any of the other... It was probably at least 50% more than Historic. And of course, best of one was much preferred over best of three overall people want to get a quick game in and not be anchored to their computer or on their phone for an hour for a turbo fog mirror or whatever it might be (laughs) absolutely i'm glad that it's still you know a very popular format even if it hasn't immediately overtaken standard i think that if they play their cards right could easily be the most played format on arena definitely just looking forward to you know hopefully they'll take the community feedback be a little bit more aggressive with the format changes hopefully be a little bit more generous with the rewards and that could just really smooth over a lot. Okay, so Robert, there's another set of questions that I want to ask you and it's just related to the fact that you probably see more deck lists than (laughs) almost any other player alive. Feel free to share whatever pearls of wisdom you have kind of gleaned over the years. I guess I just wanted to ask you, like, is there anything that stands out in your mind? Here's a pattern that I see that I think people should pay attention to or maybe here's something that people could learn that maybe wouldn't have been apparent to them if they hadn't looked at thousands of deck lists i'm not necessarily looking super closely at all of these deck lists because i don't have that much time you know yeah (laughs) but i have played for quite a while so 
I think that the main thing, like, people should try to play the most efficient cards for competitive play anyway. If you have the option to play more one drops and two drops, this goes for limited too. Like, if you're choosing between two cards, take the cheaper one usually. Because it's just going to make your deck more consistent. If your deck can do the thing it's supposed to do every game, you're going to win more. You know, it won't matter that you've missed your third land if your deck is mostly ones and twos. That's a big thing that I look at because I, I, I do draft a lot, but it plays across all formats, really. So I just wanted to cut in. I thought such a stark example of that was um, that Golgari food deck played at the latest championship. If I remember correctly, there's no card in the main deck that costs more than two mana. Right, it's a Luris deck. I guess Meat Hook Massacre in theory can cost more, but I mean, it just blew me away at like how threatening and devastating that deck was with just ones and twos. I could have played it. I was qualified for that PTQ or qualifier weekend. It was the deck that I had had the best results with in the few weeks leading up to it. Just when I went to register and I'm like, the cards in this deck are all so bad that I just couldn't do it. And of course, the deck was great. I yeah. should have totally played it, but yeah. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like you're about to say something else there as well before I cut in with that. If you do have a deck that you're playing a lot, that's going to help out a lot too. The days of people breaking the format seem like they're kind of over for the most part. So if you have a deck that's good and you've practiced with it a lot, you know how to sideboard for all of your different matchups, that's going to help your win percentage a lot as well. Like you could uh, really read off all of your sideboard plans for your Simic decks that you like to play. Uh, <laughs> you, you know exactly what you're doing when it goes to sideboarding after the first game. It sure helps a lot. Something that I have learned over my time of being a Magic player, by no means I would say like a top Magic player, but something that I really learned is um, just getting used to an archetype or even getting used to a macro archetype. An archetype in the current format is like the is it turns archetype. But then there's a broader macro archetype, which is just like control or maybe like spells based is it decks that tend to kind of have a theme and you'll see them continue to pop up in like limited formats, whether it'll be an is it spells deck or whatever. And so even if it's a new format with new cards and a new idea, if you're really used to playing like, okay, I really enjoy playing is it spells in draft you already have a skill set it sounds like you're kind of getting at that as well you can look at some of the great pro players over history that they're known for drafting white aggro decks for mm. example a standard player that always plays mono red like sandy dog that's just the deck that they know best and it doesn't matter what format it is even they're gonna play that deck and they're gonna do great with it because they have that experience it adds up man it really does i also just wanted to ask you do you have preferences like what are your either pet cards pet archetypes pet decks or styles that you just keep coming back to over the years a lot of times i play ramp decks of some sort ah man after my own heart <laughs> <laughs> but if they've got some weird stuff going on that's even better right i've played uh mazes and when it was in standard and, and that was kind of a weird deck because it, it had a lot of control elements to it, even though it was a, a land-based deck. In the cube drafts, you know, I've been practicing a little bit for the Decathlon Finals, mm. and I'll play the five-color green decks that can splash anything 
and go over the top of everything. It makes for a, a very interesting play experience that way because you've got so many different types of spells in the deck that every game's a little bit different. All right. Well, Robert, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, but I think it's time for us to planeswalk on out of here. So before we go, first of all, I'm just going to tell everyone, go and follow Robert on Twitter, at Fireshoes. That's the very first thing you should do if you're not already doing that. Is there anywhere else that people can catch you or any other kind of content that you make that people should know about? You know, Twitter is the main social media platform I use. I've got facebook but i'm not even on it every day so not as good to get to but if you do uh live in the midwest u.s stop by the midwest tournament updater you can check the pin post that has a schedule of upcoming events like the nrg series or here in iowa we've got ocm mtg which uh, i'll be judging their team event next weekend for should be fun. Mainly on uh, Twitter. If you check my profile, I do have Patreon that people want to contribute. Kofi link. That's mainly it. Go show Robert some love. It's no exaggeration to say that I feel like you hold up an entire corner of the magic universe, like pretty much single-handedly. I have a great appreciation for what you do. And I know a lot of people really look forward to your retweets and your deck lists and all that kind of stuff. So you're rendering a huge service to the community. Hey, thanks. It's a great way for people to stay involved in Magic, even if they're not actively playing all the time anymore. You can at least see what's going on. Absolutely. Robert, thanks so much for being on the show. And uh, I'll look forward to rubbing elbows with you, hopefully in person at some point. And uh, in the meantime... Keep kicking ass, and I'll catch you later. All right, thanks.